Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I wanted to start off uh, with a, I, what I think is like a real revelatory statement. This is probably going to shock you, probably going to wow you, but uh, I just got to start off real strong by saying conflict is everywhere. I know that comes as a shock, right? You probably, probably haven't seen it ever, but conflict is everywhere. And I, I don't know how many of you know like your Enneagram number, right? <laughs> Woo, all the Enneagram people are like, ow! Um, I'm an Enneagram 9, which I'm very proud of. I mean, if that's okay with everybody, I'm, I'm really proud of that. But I'm an Enneagram 9, which means I'm, I'm hyper aware of the presence of conflict in a room. Uh, it's like this spider sense, this ominous kind of, oh my gosh, there's conflict around somewhere. I, I, I'm aware of it. And, and, and it's important for us to get into just this, to get it out in the open, right? There's there's conflict around. We deal with it every day because today we're actually going to be talking about peace. We're going to be talking about peace uh, and, and how it's important for us to work through conflict to get to a place of peace. But we, amen. Yes, by the way, amen anytime you want. Just, just shout it out if you know. That's awesome. Do that. Uh, yeah, so much of the conflict that we find ourselves in is about things that are actually very important, things that are uh, things that are weighty, things that carry a lot of gravity. We divide ourselves over politics. We divide ourselves over, over social issues. We divide ourselves over the Oscars. We, 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 <laughs> that one hit too close to home. Oh, hit. That was good. We, I did not think that would get a preach or an amen, but there we are. But we also, I mean, we divide ourselves over religion and even among Christians, like we're specifically told the whole goal here is to unify. The whole goal is to be one. And yet, we have 45,000 denominations of Christianity, 200 denominations in America alone. But we also divide ourselves, honestly, guys, we divide ourselves over stuff that doesn't even really matter. We find like these little insignificant things, these little bitty hills, and we say, yeah, I'm going to die on that hill. That's important to me. It's important to me that everybody knows my team is better than your team. It's, even if it's the 49ers, David Campos. There it is. I'm a Saints fan, so I disagree. But that's cool. That's all right. We divide ourselves over a geography, like my city's better than your city. My, my, my town's better than your town. We divide ourselves over fast food. Like Whataburger versus In-N-Out. I got no dog in this fight. I just, I like food. So I just eat anything. It's good with me. We divide ourselves over stuff that doesn't really matter. And it's important for us to, to really kind of reframe conflicts. And we're going to get into this in a little bit because the message today is about peace. So we're going to go to Matthew 5, 9. We're going to be continuing in the Beatitudes. And it says, blessed are the... Wait, I gotta stop. I'm from Liberty Hill now, so we say blessed. I don't know if y'all say blessed 
in Austin. It, se- you know, it seems like a, an elevated way to say it, so I'm going to say blessed this morning. Yeah, you're welcome. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now, peace, the Hebrew word here is shalom. And it means everything brought into its original intent, its original design with God, with one another, with all of creation. Shalom, we can kind of condense it down to this. Shalom means nothing missing and nothing broken. Nothing missing and nothing broken. And Jesus is trying to, to reiterate and to illustrate how important that is in, in kingdom life. But it's countercultural, not only for the crowd he's speaking to on that morning, but it's countercultural for us. Living according to the ways of the kingdom runs contrary to the ways of the world. It's countercultural. It's not what we're taught to do. It's also counterintuitive. It's not the very first thing that we think of to do. But Christians, we need to be aware that we exist kind of in two different worlds at the same time, right? We exist in this natural world where natural rules and, and laws are in order and they govern what we do, but we also exist in the spirit, in the kingdom. We exist in God's kingdom and his ways rule in that kingdom. So we've got kind of a foot in either camp at, at all given points of the day. And Jesus is trying to show us here how children of God's kingdom are supposed to act and interact in this world. Jesus is building here upon things that the Old Testament prophets had spoken of about God bringing a new kingdom to earth, bringing a kingdom that didn't look like an earthly kingdom. We're going to go to Isaiah eleven six. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And I felt like this morning David Campos was leading us down that road, right? The mute are going are to sing. The blind eyes are going to be open. We speak Jesus over every, every affliction, every infirmity. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And then in Ephesians, Paul writes of this. His purpose was to create in him one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So this kingdom that we're talking about is not like an earthly kingdom. Earthly kingdoms, whether they're governments or the little kingdoms that we build for ourselves, earthly kingdoms are typically top-down. They're typically authoritarian. They're typically, you need to go my way or you take the highway. You need to do what I'm asking or you're going to be forced out. That's what an earthly kingdom is all about. But the prophets here and Jesus this morning, are, they're speaking of a kingdom that's filled with peace. With peace. Not aggression, but with peace. Revelation 21.4 speaks to this as well. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Now violence is the way of the world. It's the way of establishing and preserving an earthly kingdom right? We can talk about a lot of examples of that. The Pax Romana, which actually sounds really delicious, like if you ordered that at like Olive Garden or something. I'll just give me the Pax Romana. 
the side, the breadsticks, amazing. But the Pax Romana was a period, it means the peace of Rome. It was a period of about 200 years of actually incredible prosperity, expansion, and I'm going to put it in finger quotes, peace in the Roman Empire. But it was built the way that kingdoms on earth are built. It was built on fear. It was built on forced compliance. It was built on torture. It was built on brutal violence. King Herod, for an example, he was willing to sacrifice all of the children, willing to sacrifice children in Bethlehem because he perceived Jesus to be a threat to his kingdom. Jesus later on then was crucified and died because he was a threat to the authorities. He was a threat to the way that kingdoms on earth are built. And even as Jesus is speaking on that hillside, even among followers of God, there are those who are zealots, who are listening, who are willing to use the ways of the world, the ways of establishing the earth's kingdom in order to see God's kingdom come to pass. They're looking at the Messiah as a military leader who's going to, like through violence and and through aggression, is going to overthrow Roman rule. But Jesus came to bring something very different. right? Jesus is speaking to those people at this moment, and he's also challenging us in the same way this morning because we're not all that different than they were then. We're just people. And we have a tendency, if we're not careful, we have a tendency, if we're not open to the Lord, if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us, we have a tendency to function according to the ways of the world. To find a kingdom, to establish it on force, and to preserve it by any means necessary. And we w- I, hope I'm not, I hope I'm not the only one, because if I am, then that's embarrassing. But... <laughs> If we're not careful, we will shame, we'll manipulate, we'll, we'll blame people, we'll cancel people out in order to preserve the kingdom that we built. We can't hate or judge or manipulate or blame and expect to call what we're making peace. Dr. Martin Luther King spoke to this as well. He said, returning hate for hate multiplies hate adding deeper darkness to a night that's already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. I mentioned a little bit ago that shalom means peace. It means nothing's missing. Nothing's broken. But when we choose to go the world's ways to establish or to preserve a kingdom that we've built, what we're displaying is that there is a brokenness inside of us. There's a brokenness. There's something in there that we have not yet allowed the Lord to heal. And it's important for us to remember this morning, and this is the the heart of this message, that we carry that same spirit that Jesus carried in us. The same spirit that that caused Jesus to rise from the dead. The, The same resurrection power, the same power that can speak healing, that can speak life, that can speak freedom that can declare the captives free. That same spirit that was in Jesus is in us. It was in us. And that means that not only do we carry healing, not only do we carry life, not only do we carry blessing, but we are carriers of peace. We're carriers of peace. And sometimes making peace means that we have to navigate through conflict, which as an Enneagram 9 is such a scary thing to hear oh my lord there's going to be conflict and i have to deal with it i can't just run that's not fair 
right? So Jesus' entire sermon here, the Beatitudes, is just a reminder of this, right? We operate from a set of principles that's very different from the way that the world operates. We operate from a set of principles in the kingdom that is by its nature at odds with the ways of the world. So just by being who God created us to be, what we're saying is that we are, we're willing to confront the ways of the world with the ways of the Spirit. Jesus gives us uh, three examples. We're going to get into them very quickly. To illustrate to the crowd how the ways of the world are overturned and they're foiled when you uh, address them with the ways and the leading of the Spirit. So, turn the other cheek. I'm not, that's not an instruction. That's, not, that we're gonna, that's the title. Turn the other cheek. And everybody's like, Matthew 5, 38 and 39. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, I promise I'm not going to mention the Oscars at all. I promise. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, Jesus is quoting from or referencing three different places in the Old Testament that serve as sort of a guide for uh, a culture, culturally how you how you get your retribution, like culturally how you make things right again. And what an eye for an eye means is that the level of offense, uh, if the level of offense is here, the level of retribution or the level of reaction just can't go beyond the level of offense, right? But inherently what that's saying is that it's okay to do just as wrong to somebody else as they did to you. Just don't exceed it. Don't, don't exceed their wrongness. Now, the people that Jesus is speaking to have been under Roman rule. They've been subjugated. They've, they've been oppressed. So the idea of retribution probably sounds pretty good. But Jesus is telling them, you've heard an eye for an eye, but don't even do that. Don't even do that. And then it's interesting. He specifies the right cheek. He specifies the right cheek. This adds a, just a different wrinkle uh, and, and a different level of understanding to what Jesus is really telling them. So... An awkward bit of history. Why the right why the right cheek? Well, the left hand was not to be used, how to say it, socially. Right? If you've seen Nacho Libre, you know the song. I ate some bugs, I ate some grass, I used my hand to wipe my tears. <laughs> and that's what we're talking about here. The if you haven't seen Nacho Libre, go see it, and then this will all make sense, right? So the, the, the left hand, not to be used socially, you use the right hand. So if the right hand is slapping a right cheek, then what we're talking about is a backhanded slap. That backhanded slap now and then is clearly a mark of shaming somebody. So when Jesus says, if they slap you across the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. Offer them that one. That's making a statement. That's making a statement that says, what you have just done was meant to shame me, but it didn't work. What you've just done was also meant to give a reaction in me so that I would give back to you just as good as what I got, but it didn't work. What it's saying to stand in the face of an oppressor who's trying to shame you and to say, I'm still here. What it says is, you meant to shame me. You meant to, to cause a reaction, but it didn't work. I'm not governed by that rule. I don't, I don't obey that set of laws. I'm, I'm, I'm accountable to a higher 
standard, right? N.T. Wright says it this way. Offering the other cheek implies hit me again if you like, but now as an equal, not an inferior. Jesus gives another illustration to prove this as well. Give him your coat too. Matthew 5.40 says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So we can tell this is a legal proceeding. Somebody's getting sued. Obviously, some sort of debt is owed. Now, a shirt or, or a, a, a tunic would be an undergarment. A cloak or a coat would be an overgarment. So under Mosaic law, nobody was legally allowed to take your coat. That's something that you get to keep. But I think it's pretty clear that if you're being sued for your undershirt, you ain't got much. That's, that's it. That's all I got that's left. And so Jesus is saying, if somebody's suing you for your shirt, give them the shirt. But then also, go the extra mile and give them the thing that they're not even legally entitled to. Hand that over as well. Now, what this does is it shows, it's, it, it, it turns the natural order on its ear. It shows, okay, this now belongs to you, and I'm willing to give this up too. What it does is it leaves you fairly naked. Right? If I don't have outer garments and I don't have undergarments, I actually don't have another list of garments that I can wear. So I'm pretty naked, which would be shameful not only to me, but to everybody who's there looking at me and to the person who sued me and now has taken literally everything that I have. It highlights the absurdity of the abuse. To say, you weren't even legally entitled to this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, and now I've got nothing. And probably the oppressor in that situation is thinking, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe this was a bad idea. So once again, Jesus tells us that the kingdom response takes what's meant for your harm, and it flips it around. It flips the script. Or as that prophet of the modern age, Michael Scott, would say, well, well, well. How the turntables. <laughs> and if, you, if you're not an Office fan, go watch that episode, and then that will make sense to you. Okay, one more example. Go the second mile. Matthew 5.41 says, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, in first century Israel, a Roman soldier had the right to select a Jew out of the crowd and force them to carry his pack. Right? He could, if he's getting tired or if he just wants to mess with somebody, he could find someone who's a Jew and he could pull them out of the crowd and he could force them to carry his pack, which is, we're talking like 50, 60, 70 pounds. Um, and, and he could force them to carry it for them, but he could only do so for one mile. So after a mile, he had to take it back uh, or he would suffer some consequences. So in, in this situation, Jesus is saying, okay, if he forces you to go one mile, go two miles. Go two miles. And I can just kind of picture a soldier's reaction, like at the start, very big and bad, like, hey, you got to carry my pack. you got to carry it for one mile. You go one mile, and you just keep on going. And he's like, uh, no, bro, um, hang, huh, hang on. I'm going to get, uh, no, no, you can't, you can't do that. I, I, can I have my pack back, please? I mean, it's, come on. I'm getting so much trouble. So what Jesus is telling us here is that through peaceful action, we can shift the power. Or like public enemies said, we can fight the power. We can turn it on its ear, 
right? In these three examples, Jesus is showing us what peaceful defiance looks like. And what he's basically telling us is, in every situation where you're being oppressed, respond in the opposite spirit of the oppressor. Respond not according to the world standards, but respond according to the ways of the kingdom. Respond to the ways of the spirit. Which is, thank you. That w- I was expecting my mom to do that, but that was not my mom. That's awesome. Yeah, my mom's right here. She, I, I, keep, I keep telling her, when are you going to come to church? And she said, I'll let you go. I'll come to church when they let you talk. So, ha, here you are. You made it. So, this is what we call, when you respond in the, in the opposite spirit, you take an active role in changing the situation. That's what we call peacemaking, not peacekeeping. Peacemaking. Peacemaking is coming from a position of positive strength and actively participating with God to bring healing, to bring redemption, to bring a solution, to bring resolution. Peacemaking gets things done. Peacekeeping just kind of ignores the problem and hopes that it will go away. So we have to actively engage in this pursuit of being a peacemaker. We have to actively seek out restoring peace, not just letting the oppression continue without us engaging in a conflict, right? But it's it's hard for us to do. It's not natural for us to do. And so we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. The first question we need to ask ourselves is, how are we taught to deal with conflict? How are we taught to deal with conflict? Most of us were not taught to deal with conflict at all. We were just told to work it out. However, and we follow however our personality or however our, um, our comfort level with conflict leads us, and we let that be our guide, right? Most of us have learned how to be peacekeepers and not peacemakers. And they're different. They're different. A peacekeeper is a conflict avoider. A peacekeeper appeases instead of addressing the problem. Peacekeepers often think that, or when we are operating as peacekeepers, we think that, okay, if I just ignore it, it'll go away. False. If you just ignore it, it doesn't go away. The problem gets bigger. The problem only grows. Because when we ignore it, we short-circuit communication. We short-circuit connection that we have with other people. We never get any leverage or influence in their lives to change things for good because we're avoiding them entirely. When we ignore the problem, it also opens the door for us to harbor bitterness against that person, and that divides us further from ever receiving healing or ministering it. One last thought on that. Oftentimes, we change as the result of conflict. So if we're peacekeepers, what we're doing is we're shoving all of the conflict under the rug. We're just pushing it all away, leaving it in the dark, And we never give anybody the opportunity to overcome. We never give anybody the opportunity to be confronted with something and to change and see redemption. But if we're peacemaking, we expose everything to the light where God can deal with things, where he can move us forward. Pastor Aaron Stern says, peacekeeping leads to artificial peace, but peacemaking leads to authentic peace. Dr. King, again, describes it this way. He says, negative peace is just taking away the violence. Positive peace is the presence 
of love and justice. Daryl Johnson in the Beatitudes says, peace comes when the causes of strife are healed. The second question we have to ask ourselves is, what difficult circumstances or relationships am I avoiding in order to keep the peace? We're going to pray about this in just a moment. We're going to pray about this, but we need to search our heart. We need to look into our lives, into our family relationships, into our workplace, into our friendships, into our church. And where have I been avoiding bringing things out into the light? Where have I been avoiding actually making peace in the hopes that I'll just be able to keep the peace? As peacemakers, we have to embrace two different realities. The first reality is that conflict is normal. Conflict is normal. And for me, I have to reframe it. I was an English teacher for like 10 years. And I studied, I was an English major in college because I really wanted to make the big money. And so, and, and so I have to reframe conflict. I taught so many years, these students, about the elements of a story. And you have to have characters, you have to have a setting, you have to have a plot. But you know what you have to have in every story? Yes, conflict. You have to have conflict. If you have a story with no conflict, the characters never go anywhere. They just sit there because nothing is forcing them to have to overcome anything. Nothing is presented to them that they have to make its choice on. They just sit and everything happens around them and they never move, they never grow, they never change. So conflict is a necessary element of every story, including your story. We need to embrace conflict, reframe it, and we need to talk it out, we need to work it out, we need to walk it out. Ross is not here this morning, he's in Liberty Hill, but he did give you a homework assignment. He said, Matthew 18, that's your homework. Jesus is teaching us about how to confront an offense. That's homework for this week. Ross says, talk about it in your groups. If you have a problem with that, you can take it up with ross.parsley at onechapel.com. The second thing we need to realize, the second reality is that sacrificial love is necessary. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We need to remember that the way of peacemaking, making a change in the world, establishing and preserving peace it requires the cross. It requires the way of Jesus. It requires every once in a while going through a little bit of pain for the joy that was set before us. We endure the little bit of pain. Eugene Peterson says this in the message paraphrase. Actually, at this time, I think I'd, uh, Taylor and the band, if y'all could come up, that would be great. Eugene Peterson says this in the message paraphrase. He says, You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. And at the very top, the beatitude that we read out said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. We talked about that common thread, that common thread, that spirit that was in Jesus, that's in us. Jesus, the son of God, the ultimate peacemaker. And when we can operate like that, when we can operate in this world and actively pursue peace and be instruments of change, be instruments of healing, 
then we are just like he was in this world. And that's what God is calling us to. So we're going to worship in just a moment. Actually, I'd like the prayer team to come up as well. Just right up here on the front. We're going to have an opportunity here. We're going to worship. I think that probably the best environment to do this in would, would be in an atmosphere of worship. So today is a decision point. Today is a decision point. Uh, God knew that you would be here this day before any of us in this room were ever born. God knew you'd be here. He knew you'd be listening to this message. And he knew there would be this call to action, this decision point. We've been talking about making peace, both with God and with our brothers and sisters. And there's two things. I'm holding up three fingers. I don't know why I'm doing that. There are two things. I was an English major, not, not math. I don't do math. There are two things that I really want for us to pray about this morning. Number one, if we're actively pursuing peace, there, there are two, two types of relationships that we need to pursue peace in. The first is our relationship with God, first and foremost. And I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but there's somebody in here that is not at peace with the Father. You're not at peace with the Father either because something in the past was hurtful and it's built up a wall against you. Something happened that was confusing. You don't understand why he would allow that to happen. These are real things. And maybe you've been just trying to keep the peace with God. I'm not going to bring it up to him. I don't want to expose that. That, that. that might seem like disrespectful to tell God that I think he's wrong. But you know what? God's big enough to handle it. He can handle anything that we have to tell him. He knows anyway. And so if there's something in your life today that you think, I need to get rid of that if I want to have peace with my Father, then as we're worshiping, I want you can, you can be in your seat, go to God, you can come up here and you can pray with any of our prayer team members, but get that taken care of today. While we worship, don't wait until later. The second thing, we're talking about making peace. And is there somebody in your life, some person in your life that you need to make peace with? The Lord's been kind of gnawing on you about it? Well, today's the day. Today's the day to seek God. Pray for healing. Pray for that person. Ask him what your next step is. I'm not saying your relationship is going to be healed and completely at peace after the first step, but you have to take the first step. So we're going to worship. Taylor and the, and the team are going to lead us in worship for a few moments, and let's go to God in prayer. I'm going, to, I'm going to get us started here before we worship. Father, we just come to you this morning. We know your spirit is in this place. We know that you're moving in this room. And Lord, you know our hearts. If there's anything within us that's built a wall up against you, we want you to help us, Lord. Take that wall down. Show us what next step we need to take. Father, highlight for us those relationships that are in our lives that need your healing, that need your peace. Show us the next step. And as we worship God, I just ask that you would speak to us over these next few moments in Jesus' name. Amen.